What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement, Amron. And today we have my essentially my ranking summit. We're we're gonna go over my top twenty four running backs in PPR leagues. We're gonna do a little bit of a tier list. You guys know I like to do that just because this far out, especially, I'm really only confident in the tier breaks as opposed to just player A versus player B kind of takes. But I wanted to sit down, flesh out my top twenty four on paper because I will be doing my top 150 this far out in terms of redraft rankings by this saturday that's the plan that'll be on patreon patreon.com slash ron stewart we're going to do this a little bit of rapid fire i still think it's going to be an absolute like i have like 10 plus pages of notes here on every single player uh, i tried to limit, limit myself to three to five bullet points we'll see where this goes let's not waste any time as always if you enjoyed the video make sure you go down below subscribe leave a like let's go now before we get into the tier list itself i want to get a couple things out of the way here okay just a couple disclaimers with these rankings first of all these are not going to be consensus if you want the consensus rankings you can go to adp you can go to fantasy pros you can go to espn you can go to all the cookie cutter fantasy sites in the world Last season, I got ripped to sheds because I had Jonathan Taylor over Derrick Henry and Ezekiel Elliott. That worked out well, but I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm some oracle or I'm some kind of uh, man among, or God amongst men because I also had Saquon Barkley ahead of those guys. I'm not perfect, but at the end of the day, I try to stray from consensus or just you know sort of look through a lens that I am looking through without caring too much about what the market thinks because I, I obviously I'm not drafting off of these ranks. I don't reach on players. I won't reach more than a round on a player, but it's important to have these ranks just to figure out how I value players, where the tier pockets are, where the value pockets are, all of that good stuff. So I try to... <coughs> I don't know why there's something in my throat, but I try to look through a lens of just like what I truly feel like. Again, this is a tier list. I only feel confident in the tiers. It is June today. Everything is going to change by August. I don't know why I can't talk. All right. Everything's going to be PPR. Again, all these rankings will change by August, but it is my first go. My goodness, this is going to be... I'm playing through injury right now. I don't know I don't know what I choked on, what went down the wrong pipe, but I'm all good now. But let's talk about RB1, Christian McCaffrey. Um, and what it comes down to with Christian McCaffrey is I'm chasing ceiling at running backs. And that's something else with these ranks is especially up top, I chase ceilings with running backs because no running back has a safe floor. And I know that some running backs feel like they have a safe floor, but they don't. Across the board, running backs get hurt a ton. We saw last year, we saw Saquon, McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, all got hurt. Kamara and Dalvin Cook weren't themselves. We're dealing with some injuries during the season. I'm not sure if Kamara was. I know Dalvin Cook was. A lot of injuries happened at running backs. Before that, you had uh, like Mixon deal with injuries. You've had James Conner, Leonard Fournette deal with injuries. This season, we also had Nick Chubb uh, go down. You saw J.K. Dobbins. You saw Cam Akers. You saw Travis Etienne. A lot of running backs get hurt, especially up top. We have concrete numbers on that. Over 40% of running backs in the first round bust, no matter who they are and what their bill of health is. So with that being said, why would we take running backs when we can get wide receivers up top that don't bust that often and put up a good amount of points? Well, we take running backs as they have a ceiling that no other wide receiver outside of Cooper Cup has access to. Cooper Cup is the only one that has actually matched a running back's legendary win rate. Across the board, running backs, they give you an access to ceilings that wide receivers not named Cooper Cup in 2021 have access to. So I 
chase that because running backs don't have floors. That's pretty much my philosophy. Is there is no such thing as a high floor running back in the first two rounds. And with McCaffrey, that's what we're doing here because he has a ceiling that no other running back has access to. Last year, Jonathan Taylor was the RB1 in all of fantasy land. He had 21.9 points per game. McCaffrey in 2020 averaged 30 points per game. Before that, he averaged 29.3 points per game in 2019. It's just wild. If you had Chris, if Christian McCaffrey was healthy last year and he played 17 games, Jonathan Taylor wouldn't be viewed as the cookie cutter 101. He would be viewed as, okay, he had a pretty strong season, but if you had McCaffrey, you crushed everybody. And I see a lot of people say that they're going to scale back his workload because he's been getting hurt so much. And even with that, I'd almost prefer that they gave him like a Kamara Eckler type workload where between the 20s, they would stop ramming him through the the guards on second and short give those carries to Deonta Foreman and let Christian McCaffrey just be Eckler Kamara barely eclipse a thousand rushing yards and just get the high value touches on the goal line and all of the receptions we'll see if that happens but I think that those second and short and just you know three yards in a cloud of dust on the 45 yard line I think those are going to go away from McCaffrey which is a good thing um but last season or the last times that we've seen McCaffrey healthy he has been insane. Just a little bit of a cherry on top with his with his upside is he has two of the top three win rate seasons of all time. Now, the way that win rate works is one divided by 12 is 8.3%. Every player is implied 8.3% win rate. McCaffrey has two of the top three seasons of all time with 36.9% win rate, which is absolutely insane. Blows second out of the water and then 27.3% in 2018. If you had McCaffrey in 2019... Your league taco could get McCaffrey in 2019, and more often than not, he's winning that league. Now, I also want to highlight something that Edwin Porras brought up on Twitter, who is one of the best injury doctors out there. If you still are extremely scared of McCaffrey's injury history, this is a really good blurb where he says, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on you again for letting his ADP slip. Listen, the rate of injury-free games in the NFL is 2.3% before accounting for punters and kickers. Despite this fact, McCaffrey's first three seasons in the NFL were injury-free in addition to missing just one game in college due to injury. Then his 2020 was derailed with the most common RB injuries documented in the game, ankle and shoulder, rounding out the hat trick in 2021 with the hamstring. These are almost completely incidental injuries. There's approximately a 10-15% to chance of re-injury to the hamstring, but otherwise fading McCaffrey for sustaining the most common injuries in the position seems illogical. Nobody can predict health but the greater sample indicates the probabilities of a second rash of injuries is unlikely. Again, McCaffrey missed only one game through his three seasons in college, missed no games through his first three seasons in the NFL. He does not have a history of being injury prone. He has never torn his ACL. He has never torn his Achilles. These are not major, major setback type injuries. These are bruises, bumps, strains, shoulders, ankles, hamstrings. I am not super concerned with his health. Again, all running backs struggle with injuries. Christian McCaffrey has league-winning upside in round one in a year where running back just isn't that pretty, to be honest with you guys. Now, moving on to Jonathan Taylor, who's a very close uh, RB2 for me. And if you want to lean on Jonathan Taylor because of safety or anything like that, I think that that's probably fine. It's not the way that I play fantasy, but again, they're in the same tier. So if you want to swap them around, that's completely up to you. Now, I don't have RB, I don't have Jonathan Taylor RB2 because I don't think that he's great or that he's not talented. He still had a great year. He had 21.9 points per game last year. He had two over 2,000 total yards. Really, the only issue that I see with Jonathan Taylor is it's just a little bit tougher for, for me to see him have a 24, 25 point per game season. 
he doesn't have the receiving ability that a McCaffrey has where McCaffrey can catch 100 catches in a season. Jonathan Taylor had 40 last year. He is going to year three, so he is still in that section of his career where you can project a little bit of an increase. So maybe that gets to like 50 this year. I doubt it with Naeem Hines. Maybe Matt Ryan comes in. That could go to 50, 55. Maybe Naeem Hines get. I don't know why I can't talk. Maybe Naeem Hines gets hurt. That's in the, the range of outcomes. He also relied a lot on touchdowns. He had 20 total touchdowns last year. If, you know, he had 20 total touchdowns, he had 5.5 yards per carry. If those scale back to like 15 touchdowns and like 4.8, 4.9 yards per carry, we're at about 19 points per game, which is fine. But I just have a hard time seeing a scenario where Jonathan Taylor ever has that legendary season, like 20% plus win rate. You had to have him or else you wouldn't win your season. He had 16% last year, which is pretty high. But you have to remember, again, this was a year, unlike others, where the top five picks all drew dead between uh, Kamara, Dalvin Cook, McCaffrey, Saquon, Derrick Henry. And did I say Dalvin Cook? But yeah, all those guys didn't work out. So in a year where a lot of running backs struggled, he still couldn't separate himself by a ton. Now, this is him on that same that same chart that I showed earlier with McCaffrey. Nope, that's not it. That's not it either. This is it. So McCaffrey, you can see McCaffrey has the top two. This is among... These are among picks in the top 24. These are among players picked in the top 24 picks. I probably should have said that when I showed McCaffrey earlier. But these are top two round picks since 2015. What Jonathan Taylor did last year was great. But it wasn't over the top amazing. Now, I'm nitpicking here. Uh, I just don't see him having that same ceiling. But I do admit going to year three he's a super talented player he could earn more volume and be efficient on that volume so i think that there is a range of outcomes out there where taylor has a todd Gurley season in him where he catches like 65 balls 70 balls something crazy like that it's in the range of outcomes i wouldn't bet on it it's there going into year three you don't know what he's capable of making a jump to we will see but it's probably more likely than not that he wins in more of a dalvin cook way where he gives you almost two thousand rushing yards 20 touchdowns and just wins on monster monster efficiency there is some more volume to be had for taylor even just in the rushing department now moving on to a tier the only guy that i'm really comfortable taking in the top six at this point in terms of running back outside of the top two is austin eckler and even then i don't feel great about it if i'm being honest with you guys he was the rb2 last year he had 21.5 points per game the only issue i have with eckler is this kind of internal debate i have where i just sent i just spent a long time with mccaffrey and before that talking about chasing upside at the running back position i'm kind of wrestling with the idea of whether or not eckler is a floor play right now he feels like a floor play to me last year only 21.5 points per game on 20 touchdowns the issue is that that's probably where eckler tops out he had you know he had a ton of catches he had he had 70 catches he had 20 touchdowns and he was still only a 21.5 point per game guy so it's tough to me to see a path for Eckler get to that spot where he's one of those legendary running backs, right? When I say legendary running back, this is 20% plus win rate, uh, just monster seasons. We're looking at McCaffrey in 2019 and 2018. We're looking at uh, Gurley the season before that, Le'Veon Bell the year before that, David Johnson the year before that. All of those guys were, if you just had him, you felt it. And it's tough for me to see Eckler have a pathway to that. I'd say the touchdown probably scale back a little bit. Uh, it's a little bit conserving, uh, concerning his receiving work for a guy. He led the league in targets, so that's great. But for a guy that's sort of heralded as this really good receiving back, it wasn't anything crazy. Like, it wasn't a Kamara-level type receiving season where he had 70 catches for 647 yards on a 15.1% target share. 
in 2019, when he was in the same backfield as Melvin Gordon, he went from 70 catches, 647 yards, and a 15.1% target share to, or not from that to that, but before that, in 2019, when he had his last full season, he had 92 catches for 993 yards. So 22 more catches, 300 more receiving yards on an 18.7% target share, 3% more target share. I don't think that's in the range of outcomes, though. It's worth noting that 2019 was when he was playing with Phillip Rivers, who does pass the ball to the running backs a ton. Again, Eckler's kind of a safety pick, but I think in full PPR, just given how ugly running back is at this point, I guess he's my RB3. I think by August, I might have a different guy there in RB3, but for now, Eckler's the guy I'm I'm comfortable putting there because I don't think anybody else has a super, super compelling case to be RB3. Now, my RB4 at this point, I waffled after my first round mock draft video. And I swapped Najee and DeAndre Swift. And they're truly changeable. If you want to have Najee ahead of DeAndre Swift, knock yourself out. But the big picture here, before we get to the Derrick Henry, Mixon, Aaron Jones type area of guys over 25 heading into year four or later, is I really like these two running backs here in DeAndre Swift and Najee Harris, who I don't really even love in Dynasty. But these guys who are young in their careers... Uh, they're going into year two or no Swift is going into year three he's a year younger than Najee Najee's going into year two and I prefer these guys that are younger in their careers because it, it it shows upside and it shows just an easier path to paying off and this is a idea that is sort of created by Sean Siegel who's the creator of zero RB he is a really really sharp guy and he talks about the the pillar of fantasies that you're drafting players in redraft who improve their ADP the following year and it's easy for me to see DeAndre Swift or Najee Harris go at this one two turn area Najee Harris more like middle first round and end up being a top three to five pick next year but it's also easy for me to see Derrick Henry Dalvin Cook Alvin Kamara etc falling from the first round to the fourth fifth dead zone area right kind of what happened to Zeke last year he was a top five pick and now he's in the fourth round it's very easy for me to see Derrick Henry Dalvin Cook Kamara all having similar fates at this point now when we talk about DeAndre Swift again I'm not saying that will happen I think that there is the likelihood of that happening I think it's more likely that DeAndre Swift and Najee Harris finish higher in redraft rankings than it is that Derrick Henry Dalvin Cook Kamara will if that makes sense now moving on Let's just talk about DeAndre Swift. And he was the RB8 in points per game last year with 16.1. But I don't think that that does him justice because he gets hurt in uh, week 12. And then he comes back for week 17 and week 18 where it was clearly just like it wasn't him actually starting and being the bell cow. It was just him sort of mixing it. So if you look at just those weeks from week 1 through 11, which is when he was fully healthy, he was the 18. He had 18.5 points per game which would have been the RB3 on the season between Austin Eckler. So behind Jonathan Taylor, Austin Eckler, and above Leonard Fournette. He was that good. On top of that, there's meat still left on the bone uh, with this as well. He had 18.5 points per game, only six touchdowns, and this offense is going to be better. They're going to score more points. The offensive line is getting better. You have Penny Sewell coming into year two. I believe Penny Sewell is coming into year two. Uh, I don't know a ton about offensive line, but PFF has them third in their rankings which is really strong their wide receivers are better you have Amon Ross St. Brown coming into year two Jamison Williams DJ Chark you have a healthy TJ Hawkinson which is really exciting second year in a new offense this offense is actually going to be one that I think I'm going to be pretty bullish on Uh, I like the Detroit Lions be the sneaky offense to kind of come out here and be better than expected 
Now, over that span of DeAndre Swift's healthy games from week 1 through 11, he had an 18.4% target share, which is second among all running backs, and he led the league in expected points per game in the receiving game. Now, I'm going to be talking about a lot in this video, expected points per game and fantasy points over expected. Expected points per game is how much volume or is how much points you should be scoring based off the volume that you've gained, right? So if you have a 20 expected points per game, you should be expected just given off of your attempts, your targets, all of that, you should be scoring 20 points per game. Your fantasy points over expected is how much above and below you are outperforming your expected points per game because expected points per game gives us an idea of volume and then fantasy points over expected gives us a view of efficiency. And ideally we want a player that's commanding a lot of volume and then being efficient on that volume because that's how you kind of have access to those league breaking ceilings. And with the underscore, the reason why he's so exciting is in PPR leagues, we're chasing that receiving ceiling. And again, through week, weeks one through 11, he led the entire league in expected points in the receiving game. He was expected 10.1 points per game just off of his receiving alone, which is really strong. Last year, we had Eckler at 8.7, which was less than that, obviously. And then in 2020, during Alvin Kamara's legendary season, six touchdowns on Christmas, he was at 10.6 expected points per game in the receiving game. So 10.6 versus Swift's 10.1 last year. He was already getting work in the receiving uh, game that was better than Eckler and was rivaling a guy like Alvin Kamara the year before. And that was only in year two. So to me, I believe that Swift has the profile where he's this explosive guy, this fast guy coming out of school, really, really clean prospect. At this point now, we've seen that he has the receiving capabilities where he is going to have the expected points in the receiving game. And it just is going to come down to touchdowns and efficiency which i think are in his range i think that he's a skilled enough player to hit on efficiency and i think that this offense is going to get better where deandre swift had 18.5 points per game as what would have been the rb3 last year with six touchdowns over that span so if you open things up to the entire year i think things are going to get a lot better for him on a team that i think is going to be more efficient and score more touchdowns which then brings me to Najee harris who of course if you want to have him at rb4 if you want to have him at rb3 I won't argue it. Again, it's just the tiers. If you want to have these tiers rearranged any way that you want, feel free. Which brings me to Najee Harris. Um, I'm, I'm going to have Najee Harris and DeAndre Swift probably back-to-back -back, uh, the entire offseason. But the main concern I have with Najee is I'm not sure you can see the same efficiency spike as a DeAndre Swift. Right? I think that DeAndre Swift could hit like a lot of these legendary running back seasons. Right, Jonathan Taylor last year was like a four-point fantasy points over-expected per game type guy where he was around like eight, 18 points in terms of expected points per game, and he overshot that and went to 22 points per game. Same thing with Austin Eckler. He was in that same range in terms of like four points over expected. The issue is, is I don't see Najee as that same efficiency guy where he can hit a season like that, but it's still in his range. I just, I just think it's less likely. Um, Switch was first in yards created per touch. He was 13th in breakaway run percentage, and he wasn't a negative in expected points. He had 18.4 expected points per game. He ended up with 18.6. So he his fantasy points over expected per game was 0.2 not great not ultra efficient but again i think that he can improve on that you're not going to be super efficient every single year it's not sticky year to year but it gives us some signal that a player can hit this certain ceiling once every couple years with Najee, you're looking at 24th in yards created per touch 54th in breakaway run percentage Najee was second in expected points per game at 18.7 he ended up with a 17.7 points per game so minus one 18.7 expected points per game is literally right there. If you just show any kind of efficiency, if he showed efficiency that Jonathan Taylor had last year, he would have outscored him. So the issue with me uh, and Najee Harris is that he's this big plotting type back where he's not very fast, he's big, and he profiles more of a Fournette where he kind of compiles his season and finishes in the top five and is fine. 
the issue is I've, I've sort of told you guys I'm out, I'm, I'm chasing upside. I want the ceiling. I'm not sure that he has a super efficient Jonathan Taylor like season where you'll have 22, 23 points per game. I'm not sure that's in Najee's range. But again, I'm still voting. I'm still betting on it. He's young, going into year two. We only have one year of that in the NFL. Maybe he bounces back and sees some efficiency. Now, the difference between him and Swift as well is just team situation where I feel like the Lions are this growing team, getting better. Steelers seem like they are kind of coming downstream a little bit where the quarterbacks are terrible with Trubisky and Kenny Pickett. Maybe one of them looks good this year. The offense isn't going to look great. I'm being harsh on Najee, but at the end of the day, he is my RB5 in my rankings. I will be taking him a little bit. I see the upside of him being this uber receiving back, and he's also only going into year two. So there is upside. 17.7 points per game as a rookie is really impressive. There is a bull case to be made. I just don't think that he has the same... I don't think he has the same likelihood of reaching that max ceiling of a DeAndre Swift, but he's still worth consideration there. Let's go to Derrick Henry here, who I'm going to have in B tier as my RB6. And... Henry is one that I have I have some issues with. He's an extremely, extremely tough rank. Well, we're at 21 minutes at RB6 here. I don't know how long this video is going to be. But this is essentially just going to be my ranking summit for these running backs. And if you want to hear my thoughts on kind of how I'm um, weighing options here, feel free to listen. But with Derrick Henry, he had 24 points per game last year. So... In my eyes, why is he not RB3, right? I've told you guys this entire time. I'm chasing ceiling. I'm chasing ceiling. If Derrick Henry has 24 points per game, something that Eckler doesn't really have access to and something that DeAndre Swift and Najee Harris haven't shown that they have access to yet, why am I not putting Derrick Henry higher? And I've had really good conversations with Danny from uh, Fantasy Stock Exchange, who's higher on Derrick Henry than me. I just have I, I, I just have a little bit of a hard time seeing 24 points per game in Derrick Henry's actual range over an entire season because we saw him have a 2000 yard rushing season in 2020 he had a 2000 yard rushing season 17 total touchdowns and he only hit 20.8 points per game so i'm not sure we can take an eight game sample of 24.2 points per game and call that his upside case i'd say his ceiling is probably more like 21 to 22 but what i can say is that he's ultra efficient i I, i've been messing around with fantasy points over expected per game something i'm going to be referencing a lot this offseason i've been messing around with and kind of seeing what what sticks out what's sticky i'm going to do a video really soon on efficiency and why it matters and i know a lot of people scream at the top of their lungs efficiency isn't sticky so we shouldn't care about it but with guys like derrick henry and jonathan taylor and all these guys who have established volume already we can take away things from efficiency when we're projecting ceiling and the crazy thing about derrick henry is if you look back to 2019 i i filtered fantasy points over expected per game back to 2019 since 2019 so 2019 2020 2021 Derrick Henry is first among all running backs in fantasy points over expectation at 4.4 fantasy points over expectation per game. Jonathan Taylor had a league winning season last year and was at 4.9. So Derrick Henry sustained 4.4 over his last three years of being a full-time starter, which is just absolutely insane. Derrick Henry is going to be the focal point of this offense with AJ Brown gone. So he's going to have the opportunity to have all of the work there. It's going to be interesting to see if he can remain efficient without A.J. Brown. That's something I'd be looking into where those at 4.4 stay the same without A.J. Brown drawing a lot of coverage and drawing a lot of the defenses so they don't stack the box as much. It's a little bit tough. You also have to sort of factor into the equation with Derrick Henry that he's 28. He's coming off the foot injury. It's tough. 
his value, pretty much what his, his projection comes down to for you is how high you think his upside is and if that offsets his injury and age concerns. For me, where that calculus ranks out is RB6. But I'm open to the idea. I'm open to the idea of bringing Kamara. I'm open to the idea of bringing Eckler down to B tier and putting Derrick Henry ahead of him at RB five. I can't put Derrick Henry ahead of DeAndre Swift or Najee Harris. Eckler is one that I'm really going back and forth on. I think I think by the end of the season, Eckler will not be my RB three. It's just where he is now because it felt comfy. Then we're gonna go to RB seven, which is Davin Cook. Cook is another guy who scares me. All the running backs in this tier scare me, and I know we're not. I know we're not cowering from floor because I said earlier, all we care about is upside with these running backs, but when they hit this age, it gets really shaky, especially when we're coming off of major injuries and we're coming off of down season, especially with Dalvin Cook, where he had the worst year of his career. Dalvin Cook is a 27-year-old running back coming off the worst season of his career, dealing with injuries like he always is. He was the RB9 last year in points per game at 15.9, one of his worst seasons ever. From 2019 to 2020, his two good seasons, he was third in fantasy points over expected per game with 3.6. He was tied with Alvin Kamara and Aaron Jones, two known efficiency studs, all at 3.6, third in the NFL from 2019 to 2020. The issue is last year, his efficiency fell down to from 3.6 over expectation per game to minus 0.7 over expectation per game he was a negative in the efficiency department last year that's concerning he's 27 he just saw his worst efficiency season of his entire career saw his worst season of his entire career i can kind of talk myself into cook with this new coaching staff coming in where you have kevin o'connell coming in he's going to throw the ball more you have dalvin cook where efficiency tends to bounce back it's just a little bit tougher to bet on efficiency bounce backs later on in players careers i'm not sure if he's cooked I don't know if he still can play ball. His injury concerns are he are awful. He's never played an entire season. Dalvin Cook, again, these running backs give me an absolute headache. This is where I'm comfortable putting Dalvin Cook. I don't want him anywhere, but this is where I will have him, RB7. Now, moving on to our RB8. This is going to be one that you guys are going to hate, and I'm even tempted to put him at RB6, dude. I almost want to put him at RB6. I won't have to until the end of the season. But Saquon Barkley deserves to be right in this conversation with Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry. I don't see why he wouldn't be. These are all like veteran running backs that are dealing with injury. You have Derrick Henry, who just came off of a, a foot injury where he has like screws in his foot or something. Dalvin Cook, who's never stayed healthy. These are all running backs with injury concerns that are old. And all of them have 24-point per game seasons under their belt. Saquon was a rookie. It took Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry to like, to like year five to, to climb that mountain. Again, just like these guys, he has injury question marks. They're running backs. It happens. And Saquon looked good last year before his ankle injury. So he comes off of an ACL tear. Nope, that's not it. He comes off of an ACL tear and looks fine. Right? They ease him back into game one, 47.5% of the carries. A little bit shaky in, in game two against Washington, who who was, I believe, really good against the run last year. 81.5% of the, the snaps didn't do well. His last two games before getting hurt and in week five against the Cowboys, 21.4 points per game, 29.6 points per game. You still showed that he had access to that ceiling that we've known that we've known, seven targets, six targets. That was a Saquon that we were drafting last year, weeks three to four. Then he had a freak angle injury in week five, derailed the whole thing. But again, back to back 20 plus point games, he was starting to be the Saquon that we knew. I'm not convinced that he's washed. He's literally 25 years old. 
he is one of the the biggest specimens in the entire NFL. His quads are insane. His combine was insane. I'm, I, I truly do believe that two years back from an ACL, only 25 years old, he should be completely done with his rehab. He should be back to the player that we knew and loved early on in his career. He's not at an age where we should expect everything to fall apart. He's only 25 at, at the running back position. This offense, I don't think it's, it's stated loud enough, is going to get a massive upgrade. They go from Jason Garrett calling plays and Joe Judge running the team and having quarterback. Remember, his quarterback last year was Daniel Jones, but by the end of the year for the Giants, they were running out Mike Glennon, Jake Fromm. Their whole offense was awful. You're now getting Brian Dable to come in and transform the entire thing where he is going to utilize his offense in the correct way. He's already come out and said, I'm watching film of these players. I'm watching film of Kadarius Toney, Wondell Robinson, Galladay, Saquon. I want to use these players to the best of their ability, which is a great sign of a good coach. Great coaches don't force their dated scheme on their players. They move things around and utilize their players that best showcase their strengths. I think Dabble will do that. I think this offense is going to be better. I think he's going to use Saquon because Saquon is the best player on that offense by far. Saquon is... His upside for targets is over 100, which you cannot say the same about Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry. He had 24 points per game as a rookie. I think Brian Dable is going to unlock his upside again. They upgraded their offensive line with blue chipper Evan Neal up front. They have Andrew Thomas, who they drafted a while ago at left tackle. Their offensive line is coming together. I think for this year, Saquon Barkley is a great bet. He's going like the 2-3 turn. I'll be taking him all day long there. I think that he deserves to be in the conversation with guys like Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook. Now, moving on to our next guy, we're going to talk about our RB9 in this tier, Joe Mixon. I think you guys are going to hate this one. I'm not uh, the, the way that I do rankings, and I probably should make this clear up top, is I'm not saying that Mixon's going to finish as the RB9. I think that he probably has the most stable production in, projection in this tier, and he, he's probably the best bet in this tier to finish as a top 5 to 10 running back. The issue is with Mixon he doesn't have RB1 overall in his upside case. It's just, it's not there. You would need something absolutely insane for him to get to RB1 overall in fantasy. He's topped out at 43 receptions over the over his first five years, which sucks because again, I say this all the time, it makes no sense at all. Mixon was an elite receiving prospect in college. He was up there with DeAndre Swift, with Alvin Kamara, any of those guys that caught a ton of passes in college. He was right there. Saquon Barkley, guys like that. For whatever reason in the NFL, that hasn't happened. He's topped out at 43 catches in his first five years. I, I can't project it to go any higher than like 50. He had 1,200 yards last year, 16 touchdowns, and was still just the RB5 at 18 points per game. 1,200 yards and 16 touchdowns is probably the best you're going to get from Joe Mixon. So I just don't really see how he ever gets to like 22, 23, 24 points per game as a guy you really needed to have. Right? He probably doesn't have game-breaking type upside without a... He would need like a Jonathan Taylor or Derrick Henry, 2,000 yards rushing, 20 touchdown season. I just don't think that he would get the volume to have that in an offense with Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, and Jamar Chase. So he's a floor pick at at running back, which I'm not really into. But if he falls to like the mid-second, I'll be interested. If, if he goes, if he's going at like the back end of the first, I won't be having a lot of mixing. Next up, we're going to talk about C-tier. We'll have Aaron Jones at RB10. And this one's been tough for me as well. This tier, this entire tier gives me absolute fits because we are walking the fine line here of first and second round running back and RB dead zone, which we know RB dead zone players are bad bets historically. I put Jones first in this tier because he, 
he we know with Aaron Jones that he is really efficient and really talented. On that list, since I believe 2019, he has had 2.3 fantasy points over expected per game, which is eighth among running backs since 2018, literally just behind McCaffrey, Henry, Jonathan Taylor, and he's tied for fourth with Eckler. Or wait, no, I read that stat wrong. He had 2.3 fantasy points over expectation last year. Since 2018, he's been tied for fourth in fantasy points over expectation per game with Eckler, just behind McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, and Jonathan Taylor. He is a very efficient back. He is talented. We know that. What it's going to kind of come down to is his volume. And I think kind of the lazy analysis is to just pull up Aaron Jones' stats and look at his splits and just point to his splits and say, this is what's going to happen. Where Devontae Adams has gone for eight games in his career. He put up 23 points per game was on a 100 target pace which is wild and just had just had crazy game logs where he would go out there and have four and a half receptions 50 yards receiving and a touchdown every two games in the receiving game 22 points per game in fantasy i think it's probably bad process though i think a lot of guys are going to pull up this start this chart and just say oh he's gonna have 22 23 points per game now you can't project him for that there's there's just no way but i do think that he probably meets somewhere in the middle in these games without Devontae Adams, he's on pace for 100 targets. Last season, he had 58 targets. Mike Clay right now, who I talk about him all the time, his his job is to be super conservative and to have projections that are as accurate as possible. He has Aaron Jones on a 90-target pace over a 17-game season in his projection, which is interesting. I want to say for Aaron Jones, what you're looking at is his upside case is pretty similar to Austin Eckler last year, where you're getting him around the second round, and he kind of... Ha- is in play for 90 plus targets and 20 touchdowns the only the only tough part is with Aaron Jones for me is I'm not sure if 20 touchdowns is in his range because it's going to be tough with AJ Dillon up front right Eckler didn't have to compete with AJ Dillon for red zone touches Aaron Jones had 19 touchdowns in 2019 so he has access to that 20 touchdown ceiling the issue is that he had 23 rushes inside of the five yard line that year last year he only had eight with AJ Dillon so it's a little bit tougher to project him for or not project him but to just to to see him as someone that can realize that ceiling of 20 plus touchdowns in a season so we'll see how it shakes out but that's where I have Aaron Jones for now I'm very open to moving him back in, in this tier though next up we have Javante Williams I think you guys are going to hate this one as well but I have him at RB11 he's purely a projection but he's the profile that I want to be taking swings on he's just the kind of guy that I would like to to be exposed to in fantasy he is an ascending 22 year old running back with a lot of juice this is a really good stat from Dwayne McFarland where he talks about sort of what Javante has done from a, uh, an efficiency and just skill position or just skill perspective through his first season and rookie rookie running back since 2011 to eclipse three yards after contact per attempt 20 percent missed tackles force per attempt 11% explosive carries per attempt with a minimum of 175 attempts. Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, Javante Williams. He is that level of rusher through one year. And there's a lot to be excited about. He's a 22-year-old running back, a lot of juice, looked good in the underlying metrics. And now we have this offense getting Nathaniel Hackett, taking a huge step forward with Russell Wilson. We should see a lot more efficiency, a lot more touchdowns from this offense. And I know a lot of you guys are talking about, well, how come you haven't brought up Melvin Gordon? And Melvin Gordon's there. The issue is he doesn't really affect Javante Williams' upside case. The NFL is random. 
backfields rarely stay as stable as they did last year where it's just this clear 50 50 split the entire season that rarely rarely actually happens this was a really good tweet by jacob sanderson where he sort of brought this up a while back i couldn't find it but these running backs in the nfl they're chaotic we saw last year with la you had darrell henderson was the bell cow up front then he sort of got hurt and it was a split between henderson and sony michelle then sony michelle was the lead back you had uh green bay where aaron jones was the bell cow to start then aj dylan worked into a committee then aaron jones got hurt and aj dylan was the starter so crazy things happen it's very rare that you see a a clear 50 50 split the entire season if javante williams is as good as i am betting on him to be if you draft him at this price then he beats out melvin gordon in that simulation you also have melvin gordon he's old he could be not as good as he was last year you have melvin gordon which again he was a free agent for a while and no other teams are really interested in him so that's a little bit of a indication of what his talent level is even at right now there's a possibility he gets hurt there's a possibility he can't play as, as well as he did there's a possibility that javante comes out and is so good that he's undeniable and they can't stop giving him the ball kind of similar to uh kind of similar to christian mccaffrey in year two when they bring in cj anderson and everyone was scared about cj anderson and whatever and mccaffrey just ended up balling out javante's profile has a league winner written all over it i will chase that upside if you're too scared to chase it because of melvin gordon feel free to put him at the back of this tier that's completely fine now next up we're going to talk about james connor who's my rb12 and james connor is a similar bet to aaron jones but he's cheaper and it's pretty obvious that i think a lot of people are going to point to touchdown efficiency and say that he really outperformed just as expected touchdowns which is true he had 18 touchdowns on 239 touches which was 14th in the league so he i want to say he was like top three in touchdowns but he was outside the top 12 in touches the thing is with connor is that in terms of projection i actually kind of love his his projected output we have much less competition for work in this backfield than somebody like an aaron jones who has aj dillon somebody like leonard fournette who has rashad white we're talking about Darrell Williams, Keontae Ingram, Eno, Eno Benjamin. Uh, Keontae Ingram, I love that prospect, but he's a day three pick. Same thing with Eno Benjamin. Darrell Williams is just a jag from Kansas City that is going to take some change of pace work. And people are kind of assuming that James Conner isn't a smash pick because he's not going to have any receiving work, right? He was just kind of this between the tackles guy last year. But that's because he was in a committee with Chase Edmonds, who operates as that receiving back. But when you don't have somebody the same talent level of chase edmonds it's really easy to see james connor assuming a pretty heavy receiving workload where last year james connor was an absolute monster in the five games without chase edmonds he was on pace for 95 targets and 23 points per game he had 5.6 targets per game 23 points per game he was going insane insane now i don't think that 95 targets is realistic but i think like 70 plus 65 60 plus for him is going to be really really strong you have deandre hopkins who is going to be gone for the first six games which is good for him he's also hit 23 points per game over that stretch which is wild i think that that kind of highlights that he has 20 plus points game points per game in his range of outcomes if things break right on a team that runs the ball a good amount as a high tempo uses the bell cow Connor is a really strong bet in my opinion I think that he's a lot better at football than people give him credit for as well I know a lot of his efficiency metrics last year were inflated by his touchdowns but if you go all the way back to 2018 so if you remember he was a bell cow with the Steelers in 2018 and 2019 down year in 2020 went to the Cardinals in 2021 had a great year of the guys in Rotoviz's database with 20 plus games and over 10 expected points per game 
since 2018, he is just behind McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, Austin Eckler, Aaron Jones, Kamara, Chubb, Hunt, and then it's James Conner at number nine with 2.2 fantasy points over expected per game since 2018 as his average. Again, there's a little bit of that pull from touchdown luck in 2021, but a lot of that's from his years in 2018 and 2019 when he was actually pretty good. Now, this next running back we're going to talk about, I think you guys are not going to be happy that I have him behind James Conner. It seems like it's pretty consensus that Fournette should be ahead of Conner and maybe even at the top of the C tier. But what sets apart Fournette from Aaron Jones and Conner is I just don't think that he is the same talent efficiency type guy as those those players. Now, again, efficiency is not stable year to year, but it is over long stretches of time, right? We saw Aaron Jones in that same stat. He was like fourth up there with Eckler, uh, McCaffrey, JT, and Derrick Henry. You have James Conner up there with eight other studs, right? So it's not just a random stat that doesn't actually fine-tune to good players. And if you put those exact same parameters, you have Leonard Fournette averaging minus 0.7 fantasy points over expected per game since 2018, ahead of only two other running backs, Le'Veon Bell, Sony Michelle, two of the most inefficient running backs since 2018. Fournette is up there. He is much more of a compiler than somebody that adds on top of his expected point output in fantasy. So I just don't really see Leonard, Leonard Fournette having a path to 20 plus points per game ever. And I suppose at his ADP of like the two, three turn, you don't necessarily need 23 plus points per game. You probably need more like 2019, something like there. Fournette was at 18.3 points per game. He set a career high in points per game with 18.3, which just isn't a ton. He also set a, a career high in fantasy points over expected per game at 1.2. That's his career high. Again, James Conner's averaged more than that over the last four years. His career high is 1.2 fantasy points over expected per game. Before that, he was at 0, minus 3.1, minus 0 0.9, 0 0.7. He's just not efficient enough to be a Derrick Henry type guy where he can just consistently give you four points over expected and not just be a compiler. And again, volume matters a ton. I'm just using efficiency to highlight ceiling with these running backs. And when we have all these guys in this tier between Aaron Jones, James Conner, Leonard Fournette, in terms of weighted opportunities, they're all going to be hovering around the same area. What's going to set them apart of if they can sort of break into the top five running backs and be a true difference maker this year will be on efficiency. I like Aaron Jones and James Conner to do that more than Leonard Fournette. You also saw Leonard Fournette have a 14% target share, which is great. He has a receiving role on this team. They bring in Rashad White in the third round, running back out of Arizona State, who has a great receiving profile. And they have Giovanni Bernard. They brought back Giovanni Bernard. There is a chance that Leonard Fournette doesn't have the same receiving workload that he had last year. He also, to me is a very clear dead zone running back now i would say you could you could make the clear that aaron jones james connor leonard fournette are all kind of dead zone type running backs where the issue for me with leonard fournette is he's old he's not uber talented and you're kind of just betting on projection that he is going to be projected to get the high value touches he's going to get the workload on a high scoring offense and boom that's a great bet because of that projections are fragile things change I don't like to bet on projections. So Leonard Fournette's on my RB13. I'm taking him in some places if he falls to like the third round, but that's about it. Then we have RB14, Nick Chubb, which is always such a tough rank for me because I truly do believe that Nick Chubb is an amazing running back. And if he was in a backfield without Kareem Hunt where they just unlocked him, he would be in the same conversation as a Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook of guys who can just only see like 40 receptions. I know Derrick Henry only sees like 18 or 19. 
but just win on absurd efficiency. And I don't think it's crazy for Nick Chubb to eventually have that where he has like 1,800 rushing yards, 20 touchdowns. He just needs Kareem Hunt to be gone. Kareem Hunt's really good at this point. There's a good chance that Kareem Hunt gets cut or traded, which is really good for, for Nick Chubb. It's just tough to assume that until that happens with Nick Chubb. As soon as Kareem Hunt's gone, I would probably put Nick Chubb in at the top of this tier. I don't know where at the top of this tier. Maybe ahead of Aaron Jones, maybe ahead of Connor, but he would definitely get a pretty good bump up if Kareem Hunt is gone. Kareem Hunt has zero money against the the cap this year if they want to cut him if they want to trade him he is very expendable the browns just haven't really made an effort to do so the second op the second worry i have with nick chubb is deshaun watson because people seem to think that it's a positive that deshaun's suspended because it's just gonna be jacoby myers are gonna run their offense through nick chubb it's gonna be a lot of inefficient play if they do that you want deshaun on this offense you want them scoring all those touchdowns that deshaun will bring the offense if deshaun is suspended for the entire year which it seems like it's trending that way a Jacoby Brissett-led offense is not going to be super, super pretty for Nick Chubb. Then we have the last running back in this tier, Alvin Kamara. I'm burying him in my ranks at this point. This is where I kind of just have him as a default if he if he didn't have this legal stuff over his head. And I know that Dalvin Cook has legal stuff, but it seems like his team is doing a better job of it and it's not as bad. I would have him in this tier, maybe in between Saquon and Mixon, maybe in between Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook, or like maybe even ahead of Derrick Henry in B tier. But until we get some clarity on the legal situation with Alvin Kamara, I, I want him in my ranks at a spot where I would just never even end up with him because the lawsuit that he is running away from right now, fellas, is like really scary. I'm not a lawyer. Do take all of this. Uh, don't take this at face value. But apparently what the case is that he was with three other guys and they were curb stomping the hell out of this guy on, on a floor. The guy on the floor broke his orbital bone, which is a really big no-no because if there is a legit injury incurred, then you're at fault for like assault, causing injury, something like that. There is also apparently a video out there of him doing this with three of his boys pretty much curb stomping this guy. So if that footage gets released at any point, we've known with the Kareem Hunt thing, we've known with the Ray Rice thing, if there is a video and that gets out, it is such a bad look for Roger Goodell and the organization that they will have to make a point of it and suspend you this is also a case where it's not just like is he going to get suspended alvin kamara is looking at genuine jail time with what he did that night so a lot of things just going up in the air until we get some kind of you know clear-cut evidence of what the hell is going on with alvin kamara i'm good on drafting him he's also sean payton's gone so i don't know if they're going to use utilize him in the same way anymore uh he was inefficient last year he was slowing down last year he's not a bet i'm dying to make regardless so at this point I, I just don't want anything to do with Kamara I don't believe that he's going to finish RB15 that's just where I have him I want him buried because I don't want to have to take him at all 45 minutes and we're talking about RB16 here um if, if you guys make it to the final uh, oh if you guys make it to the entire video let the boy know but we're gonna go Brees Hall here and this is going to be at the top of D tier RB16 and this is where we get to round three to six this is this is firmly dead zone territory all these guys are in the dead zone and this tier, D tier, is the dead zone running backs that I'm taking stabs at. Because in the dead zone, the profiles that usually work out aren't the older running backs that you're just projecting for volume. They are the younger running backs that are question marks that you're getting a discount on because of the uncertainty. Those are bets you want to lean into. And Brees Hall is a black box prospect. We've never seen him play in the NFL. He is that. Now, I know a lot of people are concerned about Michael Carter. They're like, oh, Michael Carter was great last year, which, spoiler, he really wasn't that great. He just benefited from receptions from Mike White for a few games. 
this feels a lot like Jonathan Taylor's rookie year where people are blowing out of proportion. Naeem Hines, Marlon Mack. What about this? What about that? We know Brees Hall is a very, very strong prospect. He's an elite prospect in my model. I have friends who have him in the same tier that a Jonathan Taylor was coming out of school. He is a very, very strong prospect. He's athletic. He's big. He catches passes. He does everything that we want him to do. I see this as a Jonathan Taylor rookie situation where you have Naeem Hines as Michael Carter. And maybe they split work early on and it's frustrating early on. I I could completely see a world where you draft Brees Hall weeks one through six. It's super frustrating. They're giving work to Michael Carter. Brees Hall's not getting enough receiving work. All of that stuff. But I do truly believe by the end of the season, Brees Hall has insane upside. Where a lot of these players can sort of be supercharged for the playoffs, especially rookies where we saw that with Jonathan Taylor his rookie year. Where Jonathan Taylor in his rookie year just came out in those final like five weeks and was a league winner. You could say the same thing about J.K. Dobbins that year as well. I'm trying to think last year, but I don't think that there really was that last year in terms of rookie running backs. But again, I think that by the end, it will shake itself out. This is a team that really, really loves Brees Hall. The Jets traded up. This is a sound analytics team where Joe Douglas comes from the Eagles. They traded up in the second round to take Brees Hall and jump ahead of the Houston Texans. They have made it clear that they want him to be a very futured running back in the offense. I think he's going to be really good. He is a similar prospect to a Jonathan Taylor and Nick Chubb, two guys who came in as rookies and just killed it on the back half of the season. This is, again, this is a back half of the season play. He is not out the gates. Brees Hall is not going to be amazing, but he has a lot of upside. This Jets offensive line, this Jets offense could get better. Zach Wilson could take a step forward. Everybody's efficiency benefits. This offensive line is better. You have Makai Becton coming in for a full season. Elijah Vera Tucker. You have Lakin Tomlinson now. You have George Fan at right tackle. PFF has them as their 13th ranked offensive line and said that they have they are one of the most upside filled offensive lines out there. They want to put them higher, but they have to see sort of how things shake out first. So a lot of things to be excited for with the Jets offense. Now moving to RB17, we'll talk about Travis Etienne. And again, all of these guys uncertain black box type guys. We don't have a ton of data to back this tier up. But with Etienne, he has that profile we want to chase. He is a round one draft pick. He is in the area of a Swift, Kamara, Eckler type receiving upside. And he is going to be one of the best receiving options on an offense with limited receiving options where he's competing not with like Devontae Adams. He's competing with Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, Zay Jones. Like there's really not a lot for him to compete with as one of the biggest targets in this offense. He has rapport already with Trevor Lawrence who had a shaky year last year. Maybe he sort of relies on what he already knows in ETN. And Etienne's also super explosive. He had an, an absurd 51.7 career breakaway run percentage in college compared to Najee, who was at 32%, and Javante, who was at 43, 3.6%. So Travis Etienne is just a home run hit waiting to happen. He has receiving work. He has the profile that we want to target in fantasy. Now he's coming off of a foot injury, a Liz Frank injury. It seems like he, he sustained it so early in the offseason that it was like preseason week three or preseason week four that... He should be fine for week one. No setbacks at all. He should be ready to go for training camp, all of that stuff. And James Robinson's coming off an Achilles tear, which means he's not going to be ready for week one. And Travis Etienne will help, will have every opportunity to be that guy with only Snoop Connor behind him through those first four, five, six weeks. So he is really excited, exciting as well. Etienne's upside case profile looks a lot like DeAndre Swift last year. I love the idea of building hero RB teams around etn or even zero rb teams around etn then moving on to rb18 we have cam Akers. 
there's not too much to cling on to with Cam Akers besides like a three-game stretch as a rookie where the Rams just used him as a bell cow. And that's kind of what we have to cling on to with Rams running backs because we've seen with McVay, he just crowns one guy the bell cow and he uses the hell out of him. So if Cam Akers is that guy, that's going to be a very valuable asset in fantasy. Saw that with Daryl Henderson last year. Then he said, okay, nope, Sony Michelle is our bell cow. We saw it with Sony Michelle last year. So he's going to make a guy who's bell cow. And that's just how it's going to be. So if, if Cam Makers is first in line for that, that's a valuable role. I also don't care a ton. I think a lot of people are going to point to his stretch of games in the playoffs in the Super Bowl when he came back from an Achilles tear after five months. I think it's a plus that he was just out on the field, man. Like just that he was out on the field and now it's not just a whole month of rehab or a whole offseason of rehabbing. He was on the field. And now that was almost like he, you know, he dusted off the rust or whatever. And now he's going to be back for 100% for week one. So I'm not super concerned about how inefficient he was over those games. I think it's bad faith to even use his like yards per carry and his yards created per touch or anything like that over the 2021 season. Because again, he came back from an Achilles tear in five months, something we've never seen anybody ever do. So I think holding him to that standard, I think we should take away more of a positive that the Rams were even trusting him with. Like one game, he had like 25 carries, man. He had 25 carries in an NFL game after tearing his Achilles five months prior. Like... I'm not going to hold him to, oh, he didn't have 100 rushing yards or yards per carry. It wasn't that great. Dog. These are against top NFL defenses in the playoffs as well, where they're playing against guys like, I can't name them on the top of my head, who they had to run through, but they had to run through good NFL defenses. So expecting him to be crazy is whatever. So if he is healthy going into the season and he's projected to be the Rams bell cow, that's valuable on its own. And it's probably even warrant, it would probably even warrant like a top 12 running back type ranking if he wasn't coming off an Achilles. Then the last guy in this tier of guys in the dead zone that I'm taking swings on is J.K. Dobbins. And this is a tough one because I think if he was fully healthy, I'd actually be really interested. The issue is that a lot of the reports aren't super positive on him after tearing his ACL. Seems like he might not be ready for week one. He might have problems coming back from it. We saw it last year with Saquon. He struggled after an ACL. We saw it last year with Cortland Sutton. He struggled after an ACL. We have seen the opposite where Cooper Cup came off an ACL and was sick. Uh, I want to say like 2019 or something. Same thing with Will Fuller. So it was a little bit hit or miss in terms of ACL stuff, uh, in terms of production one year after that surgery. But something to be worried about. But when we saw J.K. Dobbins as a rookie, he was super efficient among running backs with 100 or more carries in 2020. He was seven in yards after contact per attempt, first in breakaway run percentage, first in yards per carry, second in yard, rushing yards over expected. Why did I say it like that? <laughs> he was second in rushing yards over expected per attempt. He was really, really good. Now, you can question his receiving upside. He's not going to have receiving upside. His receiving ceiling is probably like 40 catches, which is not amazing. But at his price of, of RB19, he can just be a Nick Chubb of like super efficient between the tackles guy, 17 to 18 points per game. And at his draft price, he will pay off there. And you could see a massive 15 to 18 touchdown season with J.K. Dobbins just because of how efficient this offense is and how much Lamar Jackson opens up the run game for efficiency because he freezes linebackers and they have to worry about two running backs in the backfield instead of just one which brings us to e tier and this is firmly the rb dead zone so everyone going in that round three to six range that i am lower on than everybody in d tier and that's going to be josh jacobs at rb20 here and i have to say of all these guys i'm actually the most in on josh jacobs now obviously that's because i have him ranked first in this tier but i don't hate him He's only 24. He's only a month older than Najee Harris. He finally caught passes last year. He had 12.4% target share. I want to say he had like 55 plus catches. It was his first year ever over a 10% target share, which is really strong for him. Now they bring in a new head coach and a new offensive system with Josh McDaniel. So he might lean into that and use Josh Jacobs as a pass catcher, which 
now we're getting we're putting our, our galaxy brain hat on here because patriots they drafted damian harris who shared a backfield with josh jacobs so maybe if they watched a ton of film on damian harris they've also seen josh jacobs and josh mcdaniels knows that josh josh jacobs is a receiving back and not in between the tackles plotter like he's been used through his first four seasons in the nfl but a little bit of galaxy brain stuff there i think that he will have uh, a fine receiving workload like somewhere in the range of like kind of like a mixin type role i think he's probably going to be in a mixin type role on a raiders team that should score a good chunk of points with josh mcdaniels in there you have Devontae adams now a healthy darren waller renfro's taking the step forward derrick henry at quarterback so i do think that they could be a high scoring offense and josh Jacobs could be in this mixin role of like 40 catches 1200 total yards 1500 total yards and like 15 touchdowns that's in his range i think that that's fine you're not swinging for a crazy upside but this is a the first year where josh jacobs isn't like a top 15 rb in adp so i really don't even hate josh jacobs i like the six seven turn on underdog now the only concerns are we're looking at a bottom five offensive line here new head coach so he might even just phase jacobs out entirely and just use like a committee he they did draft samir white Kenyon drake's going to be healthy so there's there's a little bit of concerns there but i i don't buy into them a ton with jacobs it's a ceiling concern but again at rb20 i don't care a whole ton about league breaking upside in this range you could just be leonard fournette last year 18 points per game and pay off in a good in a in a really great way then we have antonio gibson who is a conundrum and somebody who i think like you could make a case for d tier but it's tough man he he's so tough for me because he's this profile that i want to chase i want to be on an antonio gibson he's big he's fast he caught passes in college he played wide receiver in college that is just if you do that i'm in the issue is that through two years it's just pretty clear that ron rivera doesn't want to use him like christian mccaffrey he begged mckissick to come back from buffalo right mckissick signs of buffalo and then he's like never mind i'm going back to washington they used a third round pick on a bad team this is a bad team washington not a playoff team using a third round pick on a running back, even though they have McKissick and Antonio Gibson. They use a third rounder on a running back, Brian Robinson, who I'm, I don't think is amazing, but again, it just speaks volumes that they felt that they needed to do that. So now we're looking at a guy where his organization won't unlock him in this new role that I'm, I'm somewhat confident that he could be capable of. And that we've seen stretches when somebody gets hurt in that backfield where he goes crazy and is like a top five running back. That's happened both of his first two years. But it's tough now. On the season hole, we have two RB2 finishes, which we don't value in fantasy. Those are the most replaceable. That is the most replaceable position in all of fantasy, RB2. Really, the only upside case you have there is McKissick getting hurt or Brian Robinson getting hurt, and then it becomes very interesting for Antonio Gibson. But until then, it's really tough for me to project that upside into his case. It's also worth noting that he was struggling with injury last year, so maybe he could be more efficient. But again, this is about as, as high as I can stomach ranking him at this point. Then we have RB22, Ezekiel Elliott. Classic dead zone running back, round four ADP. He's old, he's inefficient, he's purely projectable volume at this point on a good offense. Usually more often than not, profiles like that don't work out. He also gives you extremely replaceable production. He had 14.8 points per game as the RB15 in points per game last year. He had 14.9 points per game the year before that. In games where Darrell Williams, Devontae Booker, Khalil Herbert came in for their backups, they all averaged 15 points per game when their starter went down. So again, most replaceable production in all of fantasy is Ezekiel Elliott, where he's going to go out there, give you a steady 15 points per game, which you can just get off of waivers by week two or three pretty damn easily. So I'm just not into it. I also think that there is some concern there that 
yes, I understand that Zeke gets, get, gets paid a ton of money, but I think after what they saw last year, I, I just don't really see how they don't decide, well, hey, this is probably enough. Like, he, he wasn't amazing last year. Pollard was amazing uh, last year. We should probably be giving him more touches. Pollard was flat out better last year among running backs with 125 plus carries. Pollard beat him in rush grade, yards up to contact per attempt, breakaway run percentage, yards per out run, elusive rating. And I know a lot of you guys are going to say, well, Ezekiel Elliott was hurt last year. Well, I got something for you. This is a stat that I pulled from last year. You can see the, you can see the tweet. June 10th, 2021. Ezekiel Elliott. 35th in PFF rush grade, 29th in yards out to contact per attempt, 44th in breakaway run percentage, 26th in elusive rating. When we look at Pollard, 12th in PFF rush grade, 5th in yards out to contact per attempt, 10th in breakaway run percentage, 2nd in elusive rating. And that's when Ezekiel Elliott was fully healthy. We haven't seen an efficient season from Ezekiel Elliott in a super, super long time. He has not looked good in a super, super long time. So I'm not saying that Pollard is going to replace him or have more volume than Ezekiel Elliott, but it's a little bit concerning how much better his backup running back is than Zeke. There could be a point in time where they decide, okay, Pollard is flat out better. It's time to make this a 50-50 split instead of a 60-40 split. There's a lot going on there. I just don't see an upside or a path for Ezekiel Elliott to really pay off in a way that you want him to pay off in 2022. Now at RB3, we have David Montgomery, who I'm not excited about at all. Uh, he's never been super efficient. He's a slow plotting RB2 in a terrible situation where you have a rushing quarterback that's going to vulture carries. You're going to have reduced passing work for David Montgomery because of this, where last year you had Matt Nagy, where they didn't have a lot of designed QB runs. They just let, they, they, it was just a really poorly designed offense where Matt Nagy just was an idiot. But this year you have Luke Getze coming in who was an offensive coordinator at Mississippi State in 2018, where his quarterback had 176 rushes, 1,200 yards, 13 touchdowns. Getsy comes from the Packers, who run a split committee. So you are now looking at a spot where the OC is going to design more runs for Justin Fields. He's coming from the Packers, who's used a committee, even with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, now with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. We could see Khalil Herbert work his way into the mix. We're talking about the 31st ranked offensive line on PFF. There's no firepower. There's not going to be efficiency on this offense. I'm just not sure David Montgomery, when it's all said and done, is going to matter in this fantasy season. So for that, I'm out. Now, our last running back here, and this is a junk tier. If you want to put Elijah Mitchell, Miles Sanders, Kareem Hunt, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, I think all of those guys have fine cases. I will put Kenneth Walker here. He's just who I'm going to default to. I think that he is maximum upside in this range. And this is a great tweet from Alex Caruso, friend of the program. A rookie running back has finished top six in, in four of the last five years. A rookie running back has finished top 15 in five straight years. Rookie running backs, or just rookies in general in redraft, have been cheat codes in previous years. And that's what I'm shooting for with Walker. Walker's a rookie running back. Guys who are rookie running backs in this range who have profiles like Kenneth Walker's hit a lot of the time. He is going to be a, he's a fun prospect who is an elite running back or an elite pure rusher. He's going to a run heavy scheme. He could be an efficiency monster like Rashad Penny was on this team. It's not hard for him to pay off. All he has to do is look good, run away with the starting job. Rashad Penny could get hurt and Kenneth Walker could be a really, really strong bet in redraft, especially down on the back half of the season right? Like weeks eight through 17. There's an easy, there's a path where weeks eight through 17, Kenneth Walker is like a top 15 running back in points per game. Now that is the top 24 running backs in points per game in all of its glory. I don't really have anything to plug because I don't have redraft rankings out on Patreon yet. I plan to get those out by Saturday. Um, but if you want to check them out when they're done, 
that'll be on saturday on patreon.com slash ron stewart this is a super super long one so i'm just going to kind of dip out here but as always if you enjoy the video make sure you down below subscribe leave a like if you disagree with any of these rankings which i'm sure that all of you guys disagree with a ton of them again i feel very strongly about the tiers and again it is very early all of this will be jumbled by august probably even in two weeks so all of this will be jumbled but this is my early thoughts on the top 24 let me know what you think and if you disagree Give me a civilized rebuttal on how I felt about a player. Don't just call me an idiot with a big nose and glasses. With all that being said, I love you guys, and I will see you in the next one. I got the juice. I got the juice. Channel, on. Foolies glad I'm on. Even my haters kind of glad I'm on. Rest in peace to my bag of on. Rapper, song, singer, suspended subpoena from misdemeanor.